you never think of this guy. Even though every day you benefit from all the amazing things he's done for you, you hardly ever think of this guy. I mean, how many times a day do you switch on the lights? And you never think of Thomas Edison. He just, it's the way it is. But that guy invented the light bulb and every single one of us are living in light because of Thomas Edison. You know, a while back I visited his Florida home, uh, winter home, and I took this picture and I just thought it was so kind of ironic. It was a guy uh, who was working at the home, uh, a guy in the facility staff who was changing the light bulbs at Thomas Edison's home. And I, I just got this kind of delightful grin on my face. I think that that's just amazing. Here, all this time later, they're still changing the light bulbs at the man's house who invented the light bulb. And it was all worth it. I mean, look at it. it, it it's, it's crazy. All right. So I just got to kick out of that. Guys, Thomas Edison has said to have tried over 2,000 different materials in search of a filament for the light bulb. His assistant remarked, Quote, all of our work is in vain. We have learned nothing. To which Edison said, no. We now know 2,000 elements which cannot be used to make a good light bulb. That's progress. In the book Shepherd Leadership, the author reminds us to allow for second chances and to, and to gently restore the fallen and, and to see that, you know what? If we keep persevering, it will be worth it in the end. Right, Thomas Edison filed an impressive 1,093 patents. And behind each one of those 1,093 successes lay hundreds and sometimes thousands of failures. Edison mastered the art of recovering from failure with lessons in hand and sought to pass it on to his workers. He invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than a thousand other things, writes one author. December 1914, over a hundred years ago, he had worked for 10 years on a storage battery. This had greatly strained his finances. And this one particular evening, a spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room, just caught on fire. Within minutes, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records and films, and other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure so low that the attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. Thomas Edison was 67 years old. And with all his assets going up in whoosh, the damage exceeded $2 million dollars. He was only insured for about 240000 because the buildings were made of concrete and they were thought to be fireproof. How would he react? Thomas Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father. He finally found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. Charles's son said, my heart ached for him. He was 67 and no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him, I don't know, he said, quote, find her, bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, 
Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. And three weeks after that fire, Thomas Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. Here's what I learned from Thomas Edison. He said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. I love that spirit that just keeps pushing through until you get to the other side and find success. We're talking about living as light. And I wanted to talk about Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb today, because we're talking about living as light in our friendships, in our family, in our community. You know, guys, some, that sounds like a great concept, but then sometimes reality hits us really hard. The unexpected happens, challenges arise, disappointments loom large, we experience pushback or failure. But I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be a dead end. It actually could be a new beginning. As Thomas Edison said, thank God we can start anew. And I am so excited on this vision weekend to be able to say, you know, whatever is behind is behind us. Now we look forward to the future and thank God we can always begin anew. And I hope that you will take this message today and apply it to every area of your life, to your personal life as you seek to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. In your family, in your friendships, uh, in, your, in your involvement in the life of Valley Church, in your workplace, wherever you go, and, and, and work in our community here in Des Moines and around the world. We have a calling, we have a privilege, we have a joy to live as light. But let's look and see how we can keep pursuing him, keep following the light, keep walking in the light, keep shining the light. And in the end, we'll say it was absolutely worth it to follow Jesus, absolutely worth it. Jesus said to us, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. So it sounds to me like it's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. In fact, we're called to take up a cross, an instrument of execution, deny ourselves and follow the path of faithfulness, walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. We're looking at the book of Acts over the course of many months here. And Acts, I love it because it's a journal recording the fulfillment of a mission that Jesus gave to them. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to shine your light in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And Acts is a journal of the fulfillment of that very hard, difficult, challenging task. But in the end, it was, it was totally worth it. It was absolutely worth it. So let's pick this story up. Last we left off, last weekend, Paul was in Athens. He spoke on Mars Hill to the philosophers and scholars and many ridiculed him. A few said, we want to hear you more on this. And a handful believed, just a handful. But that seed planted and we saw in generations to come, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, millions of people came to faith in Jesus. But he didn't know that then. He had seen a very small response, actually. And then we pick it up in chapter 18. All right, here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Wow, okay, so check it out on the map here. We've been following along. He's coming all the way across Asia here, crosses the Aegean Sea, goes through all his troubles and hardships, uh, in jail and imprisonments and riots, ends up in Athens, and now he just crosses a short distance to Corinth. Not far, but it's a world apart. 
Corinth was sin city. It was the Las Vegas, if you will, of the ancient world. I mean, Athens was the scholarship. It was the university town. It was the cultural hub. Corinth was just, it was the it was way people went to have a good time, to party hard. It was a carnival-like atmosphere. One author writes, from the frying pan of intellectual idolatrous Athens, Paul leaped into the fire of sex-saturated materialistic Corinth. Traveling alone, he approached Corinth through the 500-year-old Isthmian wall that spanned the five-mile Corinthian Isthmus. He may have wondered if this hotbed of hedonism could possibly be convinced to respond to the invitation of the pure and selfless Jesus of Nazareth he had come to introduce. This was the swinging city of Aphrodite and Apollos. The first thing Paul saw as he passed through the Isthmian Wall was a huge stadium holding 14,000 people where the Isthmian Games were held. Only the Olympics was bigger and better than the Isthmian Games. The Games began with a sacrifice to Poseidon, the god of the sea, followed by athletic, equestrian, and musical competitions. They were notoriously corrupt. Athletes broke training rules and sold themselves the highest bidder. Magicians and fortune tellers bilked the gullible. Every sort of huckster hawked his wares. Philosophers gathered to argue. It was the kind of carnival-like atmosphere where a brash evangelist like Paul would be found declaring the news of Jesus. He was a sports fan. He used a lot of sporting analogies. And then he ended up in Corinth. Six miles south of the stadium was a city of a half a million people, at least five times the size of Athens. A city of sailors and traveling salesmen and government officials. Everybody was from somebody's house, but they ended up in Corinth. 500 feet above the city atop the Acro-Corinth, the high city, was the town's most impressive feature, the Temple of Aphrodite, a goddess of love and Poseidon's co-ruler of the sea. And every single night, guys, a thousand temple prostitutes descended from the temple up above to the town below to engage the male citizens and visitors in worship of the goddess Aphrodite. In the first century world, to be called a Corinthian did not necessarily mean you came from Corinth. It meant you were hooked on pleasure and sexual excess to act the Corinthian. Prostitutes were called Corinthian girls. To act the Corinthian meant to engage in sex outside of marriage. And when a Corinthian was engaged, it was portrayed in a play, he was always drunk. This was the, not only the the reputation of Corinth, it was the reality of Corinth. Archaeologists have uncovered shops and marketplace, the Forum City Council, a gymnasium, public baths, 14,000 seat theater, multiple temples to the various gods and goddesses, and into this hotbed of hedonism streams the Apostle Paul. The city was only... Uh, it had only been there for about 100 years. It had been completely destroyed earlier in history, and now it's just been there 100 years, but it has exploded in population. It was a really wealthy, prosperous place. But it was also a place of great excess and temptation, and is the gospel going to take hold in a place like that? One ancient writer wrote, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. Not everybody's going to do well there. 
It's a tough place. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. The emperor had said all the Jews need to leave. Why? Because there was so much disruption. In fact, the disruption in Rome was caused, incidentally, by the uh, opposition of the Jewish folks to Jesus Christ. In fact, the ancient historian Suetonius writes, as the Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Christus, that is, Christ, he, the emperor Claudius, expelled them, the Jews from Rome. He made all of them leave. And for that reason, Aquila and Priscilla also had to leave because they were Jewish Christians. He says, Paul came to them in Corinth. He found them in Corinth and he came to them. And since they were the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue. He, he dialogued in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So he was at it again, just sharing the good news of Jesus. Anybody you could talk to. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Hooray. Silas and Timothy finally got to him. He'd been all alone in Athens. They finally catch up to him, and now he's got friends with him. He's made friends. Here's the principle, guys. As we, as we can, uh, try to live as light in, in a world that often is very, very challenging to us and fulfill the mission that God has for us personally and as a church, principle number one is you will encounter hardships. Yes, you will. I will too. And you will need friendships. You will encounter hardships. They're sure to come. They absolutely are going to happen. But you also need, to, in order to endure those hardships, you're going to need friends. That's why we so encourage you to get involved in life groups, to be involved in support groups, to join Alpha, to join all sorts of opportunities for men and for women, to get friends. Because this is not a, a thing you do alone. It's the thing we do together. But God, here we see in this passage, he orchestrates events and people to build his kingdom and to encourage his people. So Paul leaves Athens and he's kind of disappointed in the response. He ends up in Corinth, which is like this total excess town, sin city. But God gives him people that are in his same occupation who know Jesus and they join this partnership and work and they're able to make a friendship that's gonna last for a long, long time we're gonna see in the book of Acts. It's amazing. Aquila and Priscilla were sent his way to encourage him as so they could work together. And then Silas and Timothy show up and they refreshed him. We need friends along the way to refresh us. I don't know about you, I don't know what you're going through, but you need somebody. You need friends that are with you, family, friends that can help you. Uh, my concern for you is if you're all alone, if you're all alone and you're like, where do I go from here? Give us a call, contact us, and we'd love to get you connected to people who can help you along the way. Because following Christ is hard. Challenges are normal. They are. You know, you know we all have our challenges. But uh, guys, we, we push through. And we can push through because we have friends to join us on the journey. Where would I be without the friends I have in my life? without the friends you have in your life. We are gonna have hardships in this world, but thank God we can have friendships too. Okay, let's keep going. Verse six, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. 
So here he presents the good news as many places as he can, but in the synagogues among his own people, and I'm sure this was deeply hurtful, they just totally rejected him. They blasphemed Jesus. They resisted Paul. They pushed back hard. They didn't want him in their synagogues. But the apostle Paul was faithful to share the good news, the message, no matter what the response was. You see, guys, here's, the, here's what I want to tell you. We are called to be faithful and leave the results in God's hands. Here's the second principle. As we want to live in the light in all of our relationships, in, in being influential in our relationships with outsiders even, we give it our all, but we leave the outcomes to God. Guys, sometimes I think success is overrated. Faithfulness is what counts. Yes, God brings fruitfulness. But you know what? Fruitfulness comes because there's faithfulness along the way. And we have to wait for the results to be from God. Um, I, I remember as a young pastor get, just getting started. I was 25 years old in my first church. I arrived in, arrived in town, Glenwood, Iowa, Southwest Iowa. We had a total of 11 people in our church. And guys, in the first seven months, because back then this is what you did. You go around and you just knock on doors. And that's what I did for seven months. I knocked on over a thousand doors. I met and, and knocked on the homes of pretty much everybody in that town of 5,000 people. Now, church planning statistics tell us that we'll have one good contact every 200 homes we visit back in the 80s. I found those statistics to be grossly exaggerated, actually, because after all those homes, you know how many people actually came? One couple, and they didn't stick. And, you know, I was really getting down. I said, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I remember... My, my, our district superintendent, a man named Ray Johnson, came and visited. He preached in our church, like 20 people there. I don't remember what he said, but I do remember what he said in the parking lot to me. I said, Ray, you know, what's going on here? I, I've done everything. I've tried everything. I've knocked on homes. And, you know, attendance is, is started at 29, and now we're up to 17. I said, do you have any advice for me, any words of wisdom? He said, Pastor, I do have advice for you, Quentin. Here's my, my advice. Keep up the good work. And those are the five words I needed here. You, you give it your all. I don't care if it's in, it's in your family, it's in your relationships, it's in seeking to be an influence in your workplace, to work hard, to shine as a light for Jesus in this community, in this world. You give it your all. You give it your very best. But ultimately, we leave the results in God's hands. And the Apostle Paul himself, he saw results sometimes really amazing and sometimes not so amazing. But we just are faithful to God. Give it your all and leave the outcomes to God. Verse 7. So he left there. He left the synagogue because the synagogue had rejected him. He couldn't control their responses. He couldn't control how they responded to him. So he left there and he he went next door. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. I love this. So, hey, if the synagogue won't let us go to them, then we'll bring the synagogue to us. And it says here, they go next door, and Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. 
So there are a lot of closed doors and there was a lot of resistance and a lot of rejection. Some doors were closed, but many flew open. And God has this great sense of humor because he gets kicked out of the synagogue. And guess who comes to know Jesus? The synagogue ruler at the house next door. I love it. Here's the third principle. Opportunity lives next door to disappointment. Just a word of encouragement to you today. You may have gone through some disappointing times. Maybe you're really following the Lord and trying to do your best, but it just, it just seems like there's rejection. It seems like there's brick walls. It seems like there's hostility. Sometimes it just doesn't seem like anything's working. And what I want to tell to you is to hang on, keep going strong, keep being faithful, keep believing that God does know what he's doing. And he's behind the scenes orchestrating things ultimately for our good. I can't promise you how all the circumstances are going to roll out. But I do know he's for you. He's not against you. And that he has a way. He measures out our hardships and measures out our disappointments. And he brings the open doors and the opportunities living right next door to our disappointments. So keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open in faith. Don't look down. Don't look inside. Look up. And then look around for God to be working. Opportunity lives next door to disappointment. All of this, this stuff that was happening in Corinth was encouraging to Paul, but it was also wearing on Paul because he'd seen a lot of people reject him. And I think all the places he's been where he's been thrown in jail where he's had riots started against him, where people are just upset, they're opposing him. Uh, and then he ends up in Corinth, and he gets more rejection from his own people. And yeah, there's some people, many who believed, but it's a hard place to live as a follower of Jesus. It's a vile, ungodly, immoral culture. Day after day, he, had, he went to work. He was a tent maker. Now, when Silas and Timothy came, he was able to devote himself solely to speaking the word. But for a while, he was, he was just working alongside everybody else in Corinth. And he was still talking with them. He looked around, saw all the greed, all the materialism, all the occult worship, all the pagan worship, the religion that was so weird to his heart and his own Jewish brothers and sisters rejecting him, and the immorality. Every single night, a thousand temple prostitutes coming into town. And then threats against him and against his life. He's, he is the Apostle Paul, but he's a, he's a human being. And it gets to you after a while. And God knew that, and God knows that for you too. And here's what God said to the Apostle Paul that day, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. Just wait for a moment right there. Don't be afraid. I want to, I want to say that to you. Don't be afraid. God's got you. He's got your back. Don't be fearful. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Keep on walking in the light. Keep shining your light. Keep talking about Jesus. Keep sharing your faith when you have opportunities. Do this in a gentle and respectful way, but don't go silent. Don't go into a hole somewhere. Don't withdraw. Keep shining your light. Don't be silent, he says. 
And then he gives the reason, verse 10. For I am with you. I'm with you. My Holy Spirit lives within you, brother or sister in Christ. I gave my son for you. He rose from the dead for you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Another translation, no one will attack and harm you. Now, we're going to find out just a few verses later, next weekend, Paul does get attacked, but no one harms him. He's got a, he's got a moment for Paul. He says, for now, and until it's your time to come home, you're immortal. No one's going to harm you. I got you. Because, and here's the reason, I have many people in the city. I have many people in the city. Of course, there are many Corinthians who came to believe, but that's not really what the focus is. He says, I have so much more for you to do in this city. I have so many more people that my eye of mercy and my will of salvation has my heart and my eye on them. And I'm gonna be drawing them to faith in you. I'm gonna be leading them to faith in Christ. And he says, I got many people in this city who are gonna believe in Jesus. And I need you there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on this Revision Weekend, what I wanna say with all my heart to every one of you is that God says to us, all of us today, who live in this Des Moines metro area, God says, don't be afraid, I'm with you, keep on speaking, don't be silent, because I have many people in this city. I've got great work for you to do. I've got great amazing things for you to do to shine your light in a big way in this city, because there's so many people who still need to experience the love, the mercy, the compassion, the truth, the goodness of Jesus. So you keep shining bright, you keep walking in the light, because I have many people in this city. The work has only begun. Valley Church, we're 31 years old, and we haven't even started We've barely gotten started. We're still in our, in our you know, early years as a church. And the best is yet to come. Because God is telling us, I've got many people in the city, lots of people that I want you to touch and reach with the love of Jesus Christ. So you don't be afraid. You keep on speaking. By the way, we love Des Moines. We love our community. And today, um, if you're here and you haven't crossed that line of faith, I want to tell you, we love you. We care about you. And more importantly, Jesus Christ loves you. In fact, he even went to a cross. He died for sinners like me and like you. And he said, you know what? I took your place. I'll take your place on that cross for your sin. Just trust in me. Put your faith in me. And guess what? I'm not dead. I'm alive because I came out of that grave after three days. And I'm here to give you life and hope and purpose and meaning and forgiveness and everlasting life. Trust in me today. Trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. He's the light of the world. And he wants to make you also a part of his light in this world. He says to his followers, you're the light of the world. So trust in Jesus and believe in him. By the way, just a reminder, it's just a couple of weeks away now, guys, is the Good for All Conference. It's going to be amazing. 15-plus speakers, um, Tim Tebow, Catherine Wolf, incredible um, story of inspiration and overcoming that will light our hearts for other people going through hard times. Dr. John Perkins, who, who labored so much for people of color and to, and to reach out to those who are unserved and underserved, and we have heart for those. He's going to inspire us, guys, and many other practical 
uh, workshops and seminars and breakouts, please get signed up for us. That To register, you can simply text the word register to that number. We'll leave it up there for a moment. But I just really encourage you, get signed up. Find your spot. And if, when you do register, please use the code VALLEY21 because that's going to give you the lowest a discount, the greatest discount and the lowest price you can get, Valley 21. Go back to that register page. Valley 21 is your code. But get registered. We'd love to see you there. Um, here's what I learned from this passage when Paul's going through that hard time. Here's the fourth principle. In your dark nights, remember God has a plan. God has a plan in your dark nights. I don't know what you're going through, but I can guarantee you God's got something bigger going on than you could even know. The deepest issue of my life and your life right now in whatever circumstances you find yourself is not so much your particular situation, but following Jesus no matter what your situation. God's got a bigger plan. He had many people in that city for him to reach and he just tells Paul, you can just keep going strong because I got you. Sometimes Paul stayed. Sometimes the Lord led him to flee and sometimes he, he left and that's okay too. But you're in walking with Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're going to sense his direction and his guidance. And when, the, when that dark night comes when it's really hard, just remember, God has your back. Stay surrounded by God. They, they tell guys uh, in, in, in football, the quarterback, a lot of time the quarterback has a lot of pressure and his, his offensive line is protecting him. And sometimes the quarterback will stray out of that area that called the pocket, right? And will kind of get on his own. And more often than not, unless you're really good, you just get squished and smacked hard when you get out of that pocket. So what is the coach constantly saying to the quarterback? Stay in the pocket. And that's what I want to say to you. Stay in the pocket. Stay surrounded, doing the will of God, loving Jesus, following him, lighting, having him light your life. Last verse. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. For, for, for the apostle Paul, a year and a half is like a lifetime. I mean, he doesn't spend anywhere, any near that long in, in most places. Here's the fifth. Our vision is for God and neighbor. Because that was what Paul's vision was. And that's what Jesus called us to. He stayed there. And wherever God had him, he taught the word of God. He communicated the word of God. He communicated the good news of Jesus. It says, among them. With the people. Not just with his Christian folks, but with the non-Christians that God opened up opportunities for him to share. He said, I'm in. Oh, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. I want to remind you on this vision weekend of our mission. Valley Church's mission is mobilizing everyone's God-given potential to deeply love Christ and their neighbors. We are 100% committed to that mission. It has never, never wavered. We will never stop pursuing that mission, mobilizing everyone's God-given potential because every single person made in the image and likeness of God and we want to see believers who know Jesus to fulfill their God-given potential by deeply loving Jesus and the neighbors around them, all of them. And for those who don't yet know Christ, we want to see them fulfill their God-given potential by coming to know Jesus and then growing in him. That gets practical. How do we do that? We, we call our vision, it's stated in kind of a big way, 
And that is, we're living for God and to love our neighbors, for God and neighbor. So we want to pursue bold faith in God. And every year, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you in a few weeks here to, take, to make two bold faith steps. One for spiritual influence, the other for your own spiritual growth. All right? So how you can grow spiritually and how you can influence others. So we pursue bold faith in God, bold faith steps, and building community bridges, building bridges to people in our lives that don't yet know Jesus, skeptics, explorers, doubters, whoever they might be. The hurting, we reach out in community bridges with compassion to love and influence a half a million Des Moines neighbors. I'm not saying a half a million people are gonna to come to Valley Church. I'm saying the influence and the impact of thousands of people here at Valley Church can be felt by a half a million people in our metro area. Guys, that is a vision and a mission worth giving our lives to. We pursue it. And yeah, it's hard sometimes. And yeah, we get sidetracked sometimes. And yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes you want to ask yourself, is it really worth it to keep following Jesus, to keep raising this family, to keep doing what's right and having integrity and sharing my faith? And I want to tell you, it is absolutely worth it. Today, I want to close on a very personal note. From my heart to yours. You know, the last two years, uh, Ruth and I have had our faith stretched in big ways. I mean, not only have we lived through the last 18 months of the pandemic and all the decisions and all the things that needed to be made for that, and I rejoice in the body of Christ's unity and all that. Way to go, Valley. Um, but we've also gone through uh, Ruth's journey with, can with cancer. She's cancer-free today. But guys, I want to tell you something. There were some hard nights and there were some long days when Jesus Christ was with us every step of the way. And I just want you to hear from Ruth herself, just a word to you guys right now. So here's the awesome Ruth Steve. Well, I hit a huge milestone on Friday, September 3rd. It was two years since my tumor was removed. I'm cancer free today and also right pelvis free. But what a journey. Some of my highlights or lowlights in some cases flooded my memory. Nine months of non-weight bearing in a wheelchair. Five hospitalizations in 11 months. Three surgeries during that first year of recovery. Daily infusions for eight months. No showers were allowed because of fighting infection for 15 months two months in the hospital and care facilities. Whew. I used a walker for a few months, but since December, I've walked with two canes. Drum roll, please. I gave up one cane a month ago. I'm down to one cane out of the house, and I walk on my own at home. Two years seems to be a magical number in the rehab world. There's a window to make progress, and for a lot of people, it is around the two-year mark. With God's help, I plan on defying that mark and continue to make a lot more progress in my recovery. I can't begin to share all God's done in my life in the last two years. Those months of daily infusion were done by friends that are nurses. That translates into 240 days of faithful volunteers. Friends have taken me to therapy 
three times a week for the last several months. My children are always doing things to help me. They rearrange their schedule to be there for me. Now, Quentin, he's done more than I can tell you. Talk about rearranging a schedule. He does it constantly to be there for me. Yes, life has been challenging, but God continues to give me what I need every day. He has given me some of the greatest professionals to help me through cancer and beyond. My medical team and physical therapists are the best. They, they come beside me at every turn. My children, my family, Valley Church, they have all just been there for me. And then there's Jamie, who was my caregiver in the hardest days of recovery. I want to thank everyone that has prayed for me. That's the most important thing that anybody could do. And God has answered so many of these prayers. Your prayers mean the world to me. Thank you for walking with us. God continues to show us how much he cares for each detail, big and small. I've appreciated and clung to one of the names of God in scripture, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. My body doesn't have a right pelvis anymore, but that doesn't stop me from doing most of the things that I'd like to do. And I can do it because God is my healer and the lack of some bone doesn't stop him. I amaze my um, medical providers often with the things I can do. Thanks for standing with us. It's been quite a journey, but I've been blessed beyond measure. Has it been worth it all? It's absolutely worth it all. Thanks so much. Yeah, guys, it's absolutely worth it. Ruth and I love following Jesus, and we love being in a church of people that love Jesus and work together and pray together and worship together and serve together and build community bridges together because we're together in this. And you know what? As we continue to march forward and remember our calling and remember our purpose, we will look back years from now in eternity and say, was it worth it? It was absolutely worth it. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the incredible passage that we come to today in Corinth of all places. And Lord, sometimes we feel that we can sense a little bit of that Corinth in our own lives, in our own culture. But show us that you've put us here to be lights, to walk in the light, and to know that you've got our back no matter what. Encourage every single person here today, and we can't wait for the future that you have for every single brother and sister, and even folks here today who have not yet crossed that line of faith. You've got something for them today. I pray for them. Help us to walk in the light and to live in the light. Jesus, we praise you. You're the light of the world. And all God's people agree and say, amen.